So today we're going to be in Luke. You can turn there, Luke 22. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we dig into your word, as we see these passages in Luke, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you would use this time, Lord, in these few verses that we're going to look at today, Lord, that you would speak to us, Lord, that we would just look at these verses and your Holy Spirit would speak to us, Lord. They would speak a, something to us, Lord, whatever it may be, if it's whatever the correct interpretation would be of the passage, Lord, that you would have for us. We know there's one interpretation that you've intended, but Lord, we would also see how we can take these passages, your words, your words and how they would apply to our lives, Lord, so that when we walk out of this fellowship today, Lord, we walk out with something to take and apply to our lives, something to try to do in our lives, or some conviction, Lord, whatever it would be, whatever you would have for us through this passage, Lord, I just pray your Holy Spirit would use this time and bless this time. Just be with us now, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So this week... I'm excited. No more prophecy for now. I didn't know if I'd get an amen on some of you that or not, but I'm excited because prophecy is actually very difficult to teach through. And this week we have now transitioned out of that teaching. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 22, verse 1 today. And really what it is, as we get out of the, as Jesus was teaching a lot of things that were prophetic, we're transitioning to a new season. Or you could say a new chapter. Or... Maybe really what it is, it's a, it's a, it's a transition from Jesus's earthly ministry that he has been in, but now it's going to transition and we're going to see all these things happen. We're going to see his betrayal. We're going to see him being arrested. We're going to see him being beaten. We're going to see Jesus being killed. Now, as this is all taking place, we know this is while, as he's on the cross, we also know this is while he's allowing the sins of the world to be placed upon him paying each of our price for our sins, and then the resurrection. So we're, this is a whole new season that we're going to be getting into as we study through God's word, which is exciting, a different chapter in this. Now, as we looked at all them things, that's a lot, right? I mean, I just covered crazy amount of ground. It's going to take a long time to get through all of this, and we're going to spend many, many months as we walk through each of these things as we go verse by verse through these events that took place. But... As I'm so excited to expound on all these things and look at all these events that are going to take place, the biggest thing we see in all of these things, and as we study this, we got to remember all these events, all these things are taking place is all centrally focused on our salvation, what's led to our salvation. So as we study the next even few months, I want you to remember that as we look at, you know, Jesus being beaten and being betrayed all this was for so each one of us could have eternal life. So keep that perspective, please. Now, as we get into some of this, we really, to re, to re-get into the story, to begin where we left off from last week in Jesus, we gotta start with Jesus' last night before he was betrayed. The last night before he was arrested, the last few days before he was killed, and last days before he was re- resurrected. So in this last night that we're going to see before this all takes place, we're going to see many, many lessons. And we're going to study these as we go through God's word. Now today, we're going to see a plot from the religious leaders. They're going to prepare to kill Jesus. They're going to come up with a plan. We're going to see again, we're going to see that betrayal by Judas. Now, as all this is taking place, 
This night that we're going to study is during the time that Jesus and his disciples will prepare for Passover meal. And that's what we're going to begin with today. So we'll read about these two disciples as Jesus is getting ready to prepare for Passover. We're going to read about two disciples, and they are going to show us an example, ready for this, how to obey Jesus without reservations, no matter their request. What do you think about that? Can we all do that? Can we obey Jesus without reservations, no matter his request? Now, this is really, I, I was running last night. Aaron Jr., myself, and Alyssa, we went for a run. We ran from here to my house, which most of you know is next to Onyx. We ran, that's about 2.7 miles. Now, when I run, it's really a time that I take and I, I pray and I, you know, I think about it. And I've been studying these scriptures. I'm like, what is, so before we even get into the text, this Luke chapter 22, one word comes to mind is surrender. And we're only going to look at 13 verses today, but I want you to remember this surrender. What is that in your life before we even get going? You think about all the different areas we have, right, in our lives. We have our relationships. We have, you know, marriage, husband, wife, boyfriend. We have relationships with friends. We have relationship with our children. We have, I mean, all these different co-workers. We have our finances. We have our living conditions. We have all different things that surround our lives in different situations that we have. We have school. We have work. Uh, all these things. We talk about being surrendered to Jesus, right? Everybody's like, yeah, I'm surrendered to Jesus. But have you truly surrendered all of these things to Jesus? I know lately it's been, there's been some stress in my life with, like, with the visas, say. And I was looking at the finances with the visas, and that was stressful. Because uh, I got six of us in our family, and so they get me pretty good. I was like, Lord, if this is your will, I just give it to you. And I said that, I had to say that like a thousand times because I just couldn't get it. I couldn't let it go. I just couldn't let it go. I couldn't surrender that to God. I knew what I was supposed to do. I knew I was supposed to give it to God, and that if he's called me to here, he will provide for these things. I don't need to go out and ask people. God will provide these things if this is his will. But I'll tell you what, I was a mess over it. I was just a mess over it. And it's embarrassing to say that, but it's true. I couldn't seem to let that go and just let God. And I wasn't surrendered. Now, afterwards, it all worked out great, and I give God the glory, right? And I'm sitting there, oh, yes, we are approved. But I tell you what, that process that I walked through, it was even it was hard on me. It was hard on my family. It was hard on those around me. And I couldn't, I couldn't even focus on the things I was supposed to be focused because I was so wrapped up in this. And I know I'm supposed to surrender these things and just trust the Lord. That doesn't mean we don't do the footwork in front of us, right? That doesn't mean that. We do prepare in which way we need to prepare. But the results are up to God. We're not responsible for that. And we're to accept them no matter what and know that if we've prayed about it, we've done the thing that the footwork we're supposed to do, it's in God's hands. So surrender is a big lesson, I think, that, you know, we've learned that to surrender at the cross. But do we really apply that in all areas of our lives, with our children, with our relationships, with our jobs, with our finance, every aspect without reservation? Think about the areas. Which areas right now are cause? Do you think about at night when you lay down or when you wake up? What bothers you? Most of us have something. Do you? We gotta surrender that. Just say, Lord, this is you. This is all you. I can't do this. I'm not capable, and it doesn't matter if I am because I want it. I want your will in this situation, anyways, not my own. So think about this as we get into this scripture. So Luke 22. 
We're going to read the first two verses to begin. The festival of unleavened bread, which is also called Passover, was approaching. The leading priest and teachers of religious law were plotting how to kill Jesus. But they were afraid of the people's reaction. So right there, we're just going to start. But before we really get into this, I think we need to have a little bit of context. We need to take a minute just to observe what's taking place. Uh, where is this, as we begin this story, where is it taking place? Who are the people present in this story? Then also, as you think about wh- where, who, also, what was the atmosphere, or what was the emotional state, or what was the what environment was going on? What was present here? Uh, these passages today, we know as we start answering these questions, it's taking place in Jerusalem, or right in the surrounding areas, um, just outside the city. We also know it was pa- the time was Passover. This is just starting here in this story, just be- getting ready to begin. So there was hundreds of thousands, thousands of people would have been present. So as you think about all these people, you can imagine all the excitement, all the people, how busy they were, how busy they were preparing for the Passover, for the Passover feast. And you can imagine all these people and all the excitement, all the busyness and all the hustle and bustle. And then you got the disciples, right, inside of all this. I bet you they're not only they have all these feelings, I bet there was a lot of anticipation. I'm sure the apostles possibly thought this was the time where Jesus was going to make himself known. Very possibly this is what they were thinking. We don't know for sure, but I'm sure they were very excited and a lot of anticipation. Now, as we know these details and we look at these important details to help us understand the story, again, I want to tell you, you need to be like a film director, a famous one, a good one. You need to look, as we go through these passages and we read these scriptures, you need to have your video camera on, right? A big one, not your phone. You need the big one because you need that big lens, right? And you need to look at each scene and each person and zoom in on each person in each situation and the surrounding areas and see what's going on. To put yourself in the story, to see what the people are doing in these scriptures, to see what they're feeling, just to get really in, just in the context of this. I mean, what are these people feeling? What are they thinking? What are they expecting? What are they hoping for in this picture? It's Passover time. Think about the disciples, the people, Jesus, the religious leaders. Ask ourselves about these people in the story. Are they tired? Are they hungry? Are they excited? Are they angry? Maybe something else. So now you're you're the director and you're looking in. You're scanning in on each person that we will talk about, from the religious leaders to the disciples to Jesus to all these people. Also, I ask you to be an actor. Can you be an actor? Any good actors here? You need to put yourself in the character of each one of these people. Imagine like you're in this story and try to experience the world around them as they would have experienced it. As you read the passage, imagine being in the room. We're going to read about it as the religious leaders were talking about how to kill Jesus. Imagine sitting there, being one of the Pharisees or Sadducees, whoever was meeting in this particular meeting. Imagine sitting there and listening to it. Imagine seeing the hate and the anger. And these people's insecurities and the reasons, you know, what they were worried about. They're worried about losing their positions, what this all really came down to. So be an actor. Go inside that room. Be one of the disciples. Go in there and imagine what the disciples were walking up and feeling, looking and wondering and talking. Is this when Jesus is going to, you know, present himself as the Messiah or not? Is this the time finally? Imagine there. So as I started to 
look at this and I, I just go through each person and I imagine myself in this story, I, then I start asking myself questions. I start going, first of all, you read the first question I see, this festival of unleavened bread, which is also called Passover. Obviously, to understand this story and what's taking place today, you've got to have some context. What is this? Um, you can read Exodus 12 if you want later to have a little bit of context. We're not going to read through all Exodus 12 today. Uh, please write that. This is where you would write this down in your Bibles on the side note, Exodus 12, and you can study that later. We are going to define that a little bit later, what Passover is, but not right now. But that's a question you should ask, right? Now, as we look at this, we also, right away, we see these religious leaders, right? What are they doing? They're up to no good, right? They're plotting to kill Jesus. So I asked you to go, what are these religious leaders thinking? What do you think they were thinking? What were they feeling? What was in their hearts? Look at the verse. What I see here, as I look at these religious leaders, I see that these men, these religious leaders, what was that last part? They were afraid of the people's reaction. Do you see that last part of that verse? They were, they feared the people's reaction more than they feared God. Think about that. That is, we never, ever want to have this mindset or this attitude or come to a point in our lives as people where we fear another person's opinion or what they're going to do to us over God. These people feared man, not God. They were more concerned with man and their uprising than God. So as we think about that, let's continue. Let's look at verses 3 through 6. Then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve disciples. And he went to the leading priest and the captains of the temple guard to discuss the best way to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted, and they promised to give him money. So he agreed and began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus so they could arrest him when the crowds weren't around. Wow. As we look at verse 5, and we're going to start looking at motives. Now, what was Judas' motive? There's a lot of speculation, right? Why did Judas do this? He walked with Jesus Christ personally for three years, and he betrays him. Now, we can guess on a lot of motives. There's a lot of assumptions. You know, maybe he'd given up on Jesus being the Messiah. Maybe he saw and thought that, like, the other three were going to be the chosen ones, and he wouldn't make it into the final cut when it came down to it. You can go all these different things. We can guess why. Why did he do these things? We don't know exactly why. We don't know. We can't read his mind. We can't look into his heart. Besides, we know it's obviously what he did was extremely wrong. But we do know a few things. We may not know exactly, but we do know a few things. So I want to turn just turn back a little bit to Matthew chapter 26. Because it gives a little better account. Matthew 26, verses 14. 26, 14 through 16. This is the same story, just told by Matthew. He gives a little more details, though, which I love to see the little more details. So verse 14. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priest and asked, How much will you pay me? to betray Jesus to you. And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. From that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. So in Matthew's account, it's the only one of the Gospels that gives you, he gives you an actual amount, 30 pieces of silver. 
Now, I mean, what's that mean to us? I mean, we think like 30 silver pieces. I mean, we don't have a context to that, really. I mean, what's it mean to us? In Jesus' time, the context we can get and know that this is the very, very same amount that one would pay for a servant or a slave. And I find that very interesting that he would have accepted that very amount that was given to purchase a slave to betray Jesus. Judas had sold himself for 30 pieces of silver into slavery. And now, who was his master? Satan. Judas had given the means that these leaders, right? We look back at, look at verse 2, back to Luke chapter 22, verse 2. They were plotting how to kill Jesus, but they were afraid of the people's reaction. So they, they're trying to find out a way. How are they going to get Jesus? But Jesus, there's people everywhere. It's Passover. So they, they didn't know how they're going to do it. Then they talked about, if you look in other gospels, they're going to wait till after Passover, maybe, because they needed the people to go away before they were going to kill Jesus, they thought, because they didn't want it, the people to revolt. Judas had now given these religious leaders the means that the leaders needed to have Jesus arrested. He'd provided that to them. So now Judas is conspiring with these religious leaders. Um, but while Judas has done this, he sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, enslaved himself. Jesus is busy about going, about preparing for Passover. So let's read about that in verses 7 through 8. Now the festival of unleavened bread arrived. When the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, Go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. Now, it's interesting, as I said, we would come back to Passover and learn just a little bit. This meal was celebrated on the same night, if we look back to Exodus, that the tenth plague had became upon Egypt. Um, we're going to look at Exodus, just a couple of verses. I said we wouldn't go there, but we're just going to go there. Just look at a couple of verses, Exodus 12. We're going to look just a few verses, 8 through 12, just to get a little bit of context. Exodus 12, verse 8. That same night, They must roast the meat over a fire and eat it along with bitter salad greens and bread made without yeast. Do not eat any of the meat raw or boiled in water. The whole animal, including the head, legs, and internal organs, must be roasted over the fire. Do not leave any of it until the next morning. Burn whatever is not eaten before morning. These are your instructions for eating this meal. Be fully dressed, wear your sandals, and carry your walking stick in your hand. Eat the meal with urgency, for this is the Lord's Passover. On that night, I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. So now many years later, we're in Luke chapter 22. It's Passover dinner time. Now this, we know this dinner and we read this and this is a symbolization, it's an ordinance from God for the Jewish people to, for the Israelites to celebrate this. And you, th- you know, they, they took the lamb's blood, they painted the door well in the top of the door and this was a protection as the angel came through and took all the firstborn, they would see and recognize the lamb's blood on the doorpost and that would save this house, each and every house. And this Passover is not only a remembrance of that and that that perfect that sac- wasn't the per- that sacrifice of the lamb, but also as it goes on, it talks about observing their freedom from slavery from Egypt. And that's if you look at it, it's a, it's a neat the seder meal 
Um, I was actually thinking about maybe for Easter we could have a Seder meal here. And I've been researching a lot and have some recipes. If you're interested in helping with that, because I can't do that on my own. Uh, if you're interested in doing that with us, let us know. I think it'd be really neat to, as we read about these things, to actually do a Seder meal. And I looked at all the ingredients. I think we can get it in Myanmar. Um, but as we look at this, I'm not going to get in too much with this in Exodus 12. But remember, the blood of the lamb over the doorpost protected the homes. It protected the firstborn. This, and this was, if we look back, this was the breaking point for Pharaoh. This is when his son was killed. This is when he let and freed the Israelites to leave Egypt. So look again at these verses. Do you see, look back here. What do you see here? Turn back. It says, verse 8, Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, Go prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. What do you think their response is going to be? Let's look. Verses 9 through 13. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked him. He replied, As soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. They went off to the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. Now, if you have your Bibles, draw a line right underneath that verse. Because what you don't see in Luke 22, this is where it goes, you have to turn to John. And right after this, when they begin this Passover meal, is when Jesus washes all their feet. So, if you have your Bibles, right in there, just right after verse 13, right in line, and then put right in John chapter 13, verses 1 through 20. Because that's what takes place between this. this is we're going to stop at verse 13 today. We've got a lot to talk about still, though. But, right there, so next week's sermon will be John chapter 12, verses 1 through 20. And then we'll continue back in Luke. So, the, the washing of Jesus' feet is it fits right in there. So, we look back at that, and we see that, the, these two disciples, they responded to being sent by Jesus. Do you see their response? What was their response? Just where? Right? It says, where do you want us to go prepare it? That's it. He sent them and said, go and prepare the Passover meal. These two disciples' response was, where do you want us to go prepare it? That's it. What would have been your response? Imagine you're one of the disciples. Jesus says, go into the city and prepare the Passover. Would you say, how are we going to do this? What would you have said? Think about that. Look at that text. Look through that text. What would your response? You read these passages. I started looking at this and I started asking all sorts of questions. I start thinking Passover meal. What is a Passover meal? What is included in preparing a Passover meal? Um, what foods would I need to get in order, what ingredients would I need to come up with to prepare this meal? What type of, think about this, right? All these ingredients. You have to go to the market and the store and buy them. What would it take once I have all these ingredients, what would it take to prepare this meal? What type of work? What type of time? Um, what type of cooking utensils? I don't know. What, what things would you need? Think about it. 
these two disciples would have had to go to the market in Jerusalem. Um, they're not now these disciples. They're not from Jerusalem. This isn't their city, right? They had to go basically last minute and find all the necessary things, all the food and all the ingredients to prepare this meal that Jesus has sent them to prepare. They'd have to purchase this sacrificial lamb because this wasn't a normal lamb. And remember, this is Passover time. This lamb is not going to be easy to find, right? I mean, you think about it, there's thousands and thousands of people doing this. So as you think about this, to find this lamb would have probably been difficult, you would think. Um, I, I know if Jesus told me that, I'd be like, where are we supposed to get a lamb? Right? I mean, that would be my thought because I'm an actor right now inside the story, right? Now, then you think, okay, they can get the unleavened bread. They can probably find that. They can find the different herbs and they can find the wine, but they still, they got to go out through this entire city in this market that they're unfamiliar with last minute and purchase all these items that everyone else has also already purchased or purchasing. This would be difficult. Um, they would need to prepare all the foods, not just prepare them, though. It's not just a simple preparation of the food, is it? It's preparing them according to the law and the Jewish tradition to properly celebrate this meal, this Passover meal. So there would have been a lot going on here. You think about this. I imagine, if I think about this, this would have been extremely difficult to find the foods and then to prepare this meal. I think maybe some of us could relate to it. You think about it. Maybe you've had a similar experience. Have any of you? I think you back to years past, myself and my family here in Myanmar. We as Americans have certain holidays we like to observe, right? Now, we don't observe Passover, to say, in a traditional Jewish sense. We have Easter and different things. But we have other holidays that we celebrate. We have Christmas. We have Thanksgiving. And on Easter, we actually do also do something. But Thanksgiving is the one I would think about. So I thought back, you know, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. We have turkey, we have stuffing, we have potatoes, we have gravy, we have salad, we have fresh baked bread, different fresh vegetables, we have apple pie, pumpkin pie, pecan pie. Um, we could, getting hungry yet? Right? Getting hungry? But you think about all these things, right? It's wonderful. It's right dinner time right now. This is one of my favorite holidays, and this is one of my family's favorite holidays, right? So we really, as Americans, we like to celebrate that Thanksgiving. We like to have the foods that we're familiar with on that holiday. It's just it's a blessing to us and our family. And we love to invite people over, too, and bless them. It's always something we like to do. So when we first came to Yangon, we came right before Thanksgiving time. And right away, I just never thought about it. And I'm like, well, it's time to prepare Thanksgiving. Let's see if we can have a Thanksgiving meal. So my first few months here, I thought, well, I realized very quickly, I don't know where to get any of the ingredients. I didn't even know there was a city marketplace at the time. I didn't know, you know, I didn't know anything when I first got here. And I very quickly learned there was no way possible I could probably even prepare one thing besides maybe mashed potatoes. Um, there was no way I was getting a turkey. Uh, I couldn't afford it to start with because they're like three times as much money here. But there was no way that I was going to be able to go out and find all the ingredients to prepare this meal. And then there, I didn't, wait, I didn't even have an oven. So I didn't have the necessary equipment to prepare this meal. Nor did I have a means to even get it. So we went to KFC and enjoyed Thanksgiving chicken. Our first Thanksgiving here. Because I realized as being new in this city, being new in this environment, there was no possible way that I was going to be able to prepare this meal. Because I didn't know where to get the supplies. I didn't have the right equipment to do this. Now, years later, now we've been here, we now know 
some things that we like to share with other people coming is where to purchase some of these things that we like, you know, from turkeys and hams and the different ingredients that are hard sometimes or difficult to find. And we have an oven now, so we have, we're able to do these things. But I think as I looked at the difficulties that you would even have, if you try to do a Thanksgiving meal even today here in Yangon, it's still difficult. It actually takes probably a month for us to prepare because some of the things we really can't get here, other things, they're hard to come by. So like if you do see them, you've got to buy them right then and there because next time you go, it won't be there. Um, but you think about the disciples. I think they face some of these same difficulties. You think about this. In the States, if you were to go try to prepare Thanksgiving meal the day before, imagine going to the store and trying to find all the ingredients the day before. It wouldn't probably go over too well. They're going to be out of everything. It's not going to work well. It's going to be a mess. Uh, so I think these disciples knew they would have difficulties to prepare this Passover meal, which is much more detailed than a Thanksgiving dinner. Because this is very, this is part of their religion, part of their tradition. And it was very, it was a sacrificial meal. It was very important. It had to be followed. This, just the lamb alone. So Jesus has told them, go to, into Jerusalem and prepare this Passover meal. You imagine? Think about it that way as we look at that context of us trying to even prepare a Thanksgiving meal. This would, we have cars and we have like opportunities. They didn't have any of this. But what was their response? What was the disciples' response? Where do you want us to go and prepare? That's all they said. Where? Let's go. This willingness I see in these two disciples to obey Jesus is what I saw that just really stuck out to me. This willingness just to say, where do you want me to go? They, they were faced what I would consider, I mean, it sounds so simple, go prepare the Passover meal. What I would consider possibly an impossible task, considering that was last minute. They didn't even ask Jesus, how do you expect us to find a sacrificial lamb last minute? Where are we going to find this? They didn't have one. Or why are you sending us? They didn't ask that. Why don't you ask someone else? All they said to Jesus is, where do you want me to do what you've requested of me? Where do you want me to go that you're sending me? That's all they asked. They didn't ask any details. Jesus then answers, if you look into the scriptures, he answered, where do you want me to go? And then Jesus answers in verse 10, right? But as you look at Jesus, look at verse 10. As you look at Jesus' answer, it gets... It would even cause me to question and even have more doubt when we see Jesus' answer to where. You see? As soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you? Um, Jesus tells him to go into the city and look around. Right? You imagine? Go in the city. I mean, there's a main gate, and I think there's a water well, so it wouldn't be as broad. But go in and find a man carrying a water jug. What type of instructions are there? Is there? I mean, it's like it's... This would have been strange. I mean, would you all agree this would be strange? You're asked to go prepare a meal, and you say, where? And he says, go and find a man carrying a water jug. Now, this man would have stuck out, right, in the culture? Because typically, in this culture, uh, a woman would have been the one that would have went and got the water and carried the jugs back. So it would have been strange to see a man carrying a water jug. So this man probably would have been easy to identify among all the other women carrying the water jug. Uh, but... This is still odd. I mean, really odd. Could you imagine receiving this kind of instruction? What would you say after receiving this? Go into the city and find a man carrying a water jug and follow him. 
It gets stranger, right? It doesn't end there. Look at this passage. The two disciples are then told to follow the man to his home. Think about that. I'm not sure in Jesus' time exactly, but if I was following someone to their home, this might cause some questions or some problems. I don't know. I mean, if I look back and I'm walking to my house and I see someone following me to my house, I'm going to kind of like, hey, why are you following me? It's kind of strange. Maybe not in Jesus' time, but I'd be asking the guys questions. Hey, why are you following me? I actually used to purposely, like a lot of times I'd go home different ways just because they'd see a foreigner. I didn't always want everyone to know where I lived. And so I'd sometimes, after a while I figured out they all know where we live, so don't worry about that. But So Jesus' instructions, if you look at the scriptures, they continue. They're instructed to find the owner of the home, of this man that's carrying the water. And then they're supposed to go to this owner of the home and tell him, hey, Jesus is coming and he wants to know if the room is ready so we can eat our Passover meal. Some strange, they don't, I don't believe they knew who this person was. Can you imagine doing this? Walking up to a house. You just followed the guy carrying the pitcher. You see, that's the house. He walked in there. Now go up there, find the owner of the house. Excuse me, sir, sir, you don't know us. But the teacher, Jesus, he said that you'd have a room ready for us. This would be awkward. It would be strange, I think. I have to admit, if I was in the disciples' shoes, I would say this sounds a little crazy. I'd even say, is like, is this like, I wouldn't understand it. To Just think about the whole picture there. First, imagine finding all the food they would have to find to prepare this meal. In a city that you're not familiar with. This isn't their home market. Then, to go in this city and look for a man carrying a water jug. And then to follow this man to his house. Then to find the owner and say, hey, we're coming over. Is the room ready? Can you imagine Jesus calling you to do something that would seem impossible in a city that you're not from and not tell you anything you're going to do but to go there and prepare? Let me say that again. Can you imagine Jesus calling you to go and do something that would seem impossible in a city you're not from and not telling you anything but to go and prepare? Imagine that. These disciples are showing us an amazing, amazing example to follow. Hmm? I think many of us are sitting in these shoes today. Jesus had instructed these two disciples to do something that seemed not only impossible, but kind of ridiculous when you look at the story, honestly. I mean, you think it's kind of, it sounds ridiculous almost. Go follow a man with a jug on his head and, I mean, it's just, it's crazy, right? But what was their answer to Jesus without asking any details or question was, where shall we go do this? That's it. They had no idea how they were going to accomplish what Jesus had sent them to do. They simply went in faith and obeyed Jesus. Not having any idea, even I'm sure thinking, there's no way we're going to be able to do this. But they went. And they followed the instructions of Jesus. We can see these disciples. They trusted Jesus. And you know, if we've read through all through the Gospels, we see the disciples, they mess up all the time, right? I mean, they've done, I mean, Peter, I mean, we look at all of them, right? Uh, lack of faith. But this time, they got this one right. They really got this one right. They believed that Jesus would lead them and direct them in such a way that they didn't need to know all the details how it was going to work out, even though what they had sent them to do would seem impossible. And they just believed, and they went. They trusted Jesus would that Jesus would provide them with whatever they would need to complete the task that Jesus had sent them to do. Jesus 
had requested of them, and they didn't even question it. You know, Jesus, just like this story here, Jesus has asked all of us, every person here, to do certain things. He has sent us to do certain things just as he sent these two disciples. Jesus has called every one of us to go out and share the gospel. Every one of us. So what's your response? Like these disciples? Where? Where shall I go? That should be our response. Not how is this going to take place? Why me? We go into all this, right? It's not how. It's not why. Do we follow the disciples' response and say where and go? That's it. Trust God will take care of all the details and just obey him. I thought about this question. And I, I had to take myself way back when I was first walking as a Christian. The first time I recall Jesus calling me to go and share the good news. So I want you all to think about this. I went, you know, I went back into my early walk as a young baby Christian. Each of us should be able to go back and think when God has prompted us or told us and asked us to do something. And said, this is what I want you to do. I'm going to send you here, or I want you to talk to that person. Well, God was very clear when he first called me to share the gospel. He spoke to me very plainly, and I knew that he was wanted to send me, and he wanted me to share the good news. So what did I do? Ready? This is years and years ago. I said no. I knew it was the Lord's voice. I said no. I can't. I can't go share the gospel because I've done too many bad things. I said no. Later, he asked me again. I said no. I said my life today is not good enough and I still have some sins I struggle with today so I can't go and share the gospel. Again, Later in my walk as a Christian, as a young Christian, God said, I want you to go share the love of Christ with everyone around you. I said, no. I need to save money first before I can go into ministry. It was one of my responses. Again, God contacted me and said, I want you to go and serve in ministry full time. I said, no. My family isn't ready. When my children are older, I will go and serve. They're not ready. The calling continued in my life. Again, the Lord spoke to me. I said, no. I said, I can't go because I don't know the Bible enough because I didn't grow up in God's word. I'm too scared to go. As I look back and I look at all these reasons that I gave God for not to follow his calling to go and share the gospel, I can only look back now in repentance and say, the truth was, wasn't what I said there. It wasn't that I had done too many bad things. But I can look back now and I can see, as I give an answer and a response to God each time, instead of just saying, yes, Lord. What I was saying when I said I'd done too many bad things, really what I said when I said that was, God, I don't believe I'm truly redeemed. When he, he said it again, what I really said when I said no was, Lord, I don't believe what you did on the cross was enough for me. I still have these things in my life. What I also said when I said no, I said, Lord, I don't believe the Holy Spirit will provide the words to share the gospel or the good news with others. I don't trust you enough. Really what I said when I said, I need to save more money before I go out 
is what I said is, Lord, I don't believe you'll provide for my needs. Then I made the excuse to my children. I wanted my children, especially the little ones, to grow up a little more. What I really said to God was, Lord, I don't believe you love my children more than me. I don't believe that they truly belong to you. That's what I said. So I looked back, and the last one I said was, Lord, I don't believe that you will equip me to do the work that you've called me to do. And there came a point, obviously, where I said yes. There was a day that I broke down before God, and I finally, as a Christian, surrendered my will to the Lord. Now, I didn't do this on my own. This is not something I just made a choice to do. It was the Holy Spirit that did this in my life. It was the Holy Spirit coming upon me in a way that I can only explain as an overwhelming presence that spoke to me. And he spoke to me, trust me, follow me, I will provide. Now, my response is the Holy Spirit spoke this into my life was only to cry out to God, pleading for forgiveness and repenting of my lack of faith for all them things I just went through. And I came to understand at that point, I, I can't do all them things that I just said. I can't. I can't do the things that God has called me to do. I was right when I said that. But I can do it through the Holy Spirit living in me. Because he well equipped and he well provide for us. I finally came to the point where I surrendered to God's will in my life. I came to a point where in my walk as a Christian, I had faith in Jesus as my Savior, but I didn't surrender all them things to, to God. I surrendered to the cross, but I didn't lay everything down there. You know what? And I think there's things today even that probably could be laid down. I don't, I think it's never ending in some sense. Maybe I'll come to some point sometime, but I think it is a continual process. But I'll tell you now, I, I believe I've done my best now truly to surrender everything in my life from my finances to my children, to my marriage, to my friends, to my health. And I, I do my best. I'm not perfect to stop asking why. To stop asking why God would you have this for me? Why have you done this? I stop asking how. How are you, how is this going to happen, God? I don't see how this looks impossible. Stop asking why. Just trust God and obey God as these disciples show us this wonderful example. Follow these disciples' example and simply say, Yes, Lord, where would you lead me to share the gospel? That's it. This message, I believe, was very personal to me just to remember and to come back to a point of surrender, especially as we serve here among the people in Myanmar. Do not ask how. Do not ask why. Just to say, yes, Lord, I will go. That's it. And trust the Lord will provide the details. He'll provide the resources that you need. He'll provide for your relationships. He'll provide for your children. He'll provide for you. He'll provide everything you need if we will just have faith and say, yes, Lord. When things seem absolutely impossible and there's no way possible, just go. Put the foot out there and go like these disciples go. If it sounds as crazy as going to a city and finding a guy with a water jug on his head and following him to some random house and knocking on the door, think about that. It's just, it, these disciples, they did it. They just said yes. I was thinking surrender as I was running last night. What is surrender? How can I define that? How could I expound on that? How could I share to you what that means in our lives? What does it really mean to surrender to God? Everything. And I don't have a great definition, but as I was looking, one of the resources I love to use in my study of the Bible is gotquestions.org. 
It's a great resource. If any of you have not used it, if you have questions, use it. It's a great resource. So I'm going to steal their definition of surrender, and I'd like to read it to you. Uh, if the worship team could head up, uh, we will. after I read this quote, um, we will look at this quote, surrender. So read this and think about this this week. Surrender is a battle term. It implies giving up all rights to the conqueror. When an opposing army surrenders, they lay down their arms, and the winners take control from then on. Surrendering to God works the same way. God has a plan for our lives, and surrendering to him means we set aside our own plans and eagerly, eagerly seek his. The good news is that God's plan for us is always our best interest, unlike our own plans that often lead to destruction. Our Lord is wise and the benefit victor. He conquers us to bless us. That's from gotquestions.org. Worship team, head up, and I'm going to pray, and we'll conclude our service. Please stand. Heavenly Father, as we look at this amazing example from these two disciples in this short 13 verses, Lord, I just see their willingness just to say, yes, Lord, I will go. Looking at what they must have looked at and the ridiculousness of what it seemed that you were calling them to do and how they could not even see how it would be possible or why they'd be doing this. All they said is, Lord, is where? And they stepped out and followed. And in the end, as we read it, they found everything ready as you had promised, Lord. You had went before them as we don't know the rest of the story. But we know as reading this text and we know from our own testimonies that, Lord, you had already gone before them and prepared their way. You had already gone and made all the arrangements that needed to be made. You had already gone before them, Lord, and taking care of them. So when they stepped out in faith, Lord, they saw that you had already been there. You had already Lord, you had ordained what they had done, Lord. Lord, as we go out, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that we would have a surrendered life, Lord. We would surrender like this, Lord, in a way that even if it would seem just outlandish, it would just seem, why would we do this, Lord? We would just say, yes, Lord. Whatever it is, whatever it is, if our finances, our relationships, we just surrender it all to you, Lord, and say, here I am, Lord, use me. And just take that next step. So, Lord, I just praise you and I thank you for this text, Lord, as... We just continue in this next season of your walk here on earth, Lord, as we see here your betrayal from Judas. But even in during this betrayal, Lord, you're teaching us amazing truths about faith and surrenderance. And, Lord, we see that Judas, Lord, he betrayed you. But, Lord, you knew that the whole time, and you still, still allowed him to be there, Lord. So, Lord... We thank you. Let us leave this place changed from your word, changed through your Holy Spirit, that we would go out in a surrendered Christian. In Jesus' name, amen.